So three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on tonight's show. I have a very special guest, a returning guest. Her name is Roberta Glass. She runs the True Crime Report on YouTube. She is a, also an investigator on the ground uh, for the Nexium cases that are taking place in New York where she lives. But tonight we're going to talk about a different subject, different than subjects we've talked about in the past, which include Nexium, the West Memphis Three, um, and some of these other uh, prevalent cases that Bob Ruff has covered. But tonight we're going to uh, cover what's known as the smiley face killers, this uh, string of young men being disappearing at night and being found in water, oftentimes much longer than you know that should have uh, expected. And it, it, this conversation comes on after the announcement. There was a press com- conference that involved Jeff Gannon and Cyril Wecht talking about their investigation, which will be featured on Oxygen. And the title of this feature will be Smiley Face Killers, The Hunt for Justice, which will premiere January 19th. So we are uh, going to bring that up in the conversation. And Roberta has done a lot of research and, and uh, sent me written questions. So she's definitely done her homework. So I'm looking forward to answering any questions she has. Roberta, are you there? Yeah. Awesome. So I just have a question, a little bit off topic. Okay, go for but, it. But, you know, when you that, and just as someone who's like a fan of your podcast, for a long time, you know, no one knew what you looked like. And it was like really mysterious. And then you're in like this occult crimes documentary and you're in shadow. And then you made the decision to like put yourself on camera. So what was that about? What made you do that? <coughs> well, I think it was, you know, it was uh, a different time, a different administration, different kind of uh, environment. So for me, I was much more comfortable being on camera in different um, situations, maybe back then. So I think that. You know, it's fine. I, I really didn't mind. I really was not really that elated about being a public person, and I pretty much enjoy my anonymity. So in that regard, that was kind of one of the things, especially dealing with these types of topics. I was actually just thinking uh, the other day that almost all of the topics I've talked about regard human sacrifice or murder. So um, in that regard, you know, it was just nice to not really have a camera on me so yeah so that was kind of my decision and the guy who did did the occult crimes his name was uh, christian page out of uh he was out of canada and so he agreed to that but he uh he used some a lot of my research that included in abomination devil worship and deception in the west memphis three he included some of the cases that i covered some of the satanic uh occult influenced crimes uh in his which i found to be a very excellent uh, doc- documentary series of cult crimes on Netflix. I thought he did a fantastic job. Yeah, it's an interesting episode, for sure. Well, and, I, uh, you know, I was interspersed in a, a variety of different episodes. They were actually, most of the time when I was interviewed for that, it was about the West Memphis Three, but they either got spiked or something happened behind the scenes, and all that stuff is gone. But all the conversations <laughs> that, I, that I had about other other criminal subjects was included and interspersed in, in through, and those were the other cases that I had covered in my book. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I don't know. It, it was it was just like, you know, as a fan, like you're always like imagining what someone looks like, and it was kind of, you ended up kind of looking like what I thought you would look like, but I mean, I know why I don't do it, because I just, I, I can't, I, I can't, I don't, I don't have that kind of, stomach for it but anyway right now maybe well, i'll talk about the, the other thing is that if you become a public figure you know i'm starting to get recognized it inter inter 
interrupts your day-to-day life, you know? So people take pictures of me. Yeah, people start to recognize me, which, you know, I didn't have that before. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. So, um, so, so, so you want to get right into it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just get right into it and ask you like, just what is the smiley face killer theory? And can you break it down for us? Like we're third graders. Okay. Well, what's known as the smiley face killings was, was based on the research of three primary people. There were two detectives in New York that are now retired and a professor from Wisconsin. The professor's name was Lee Gilbertson and the two detectives were, uh, Duarte and Jeff Gannon. And they noticed that there was a pattern of young men disappearing night at night out and later to be found in water, often in places where they should not have been found, whether upstream or in odd circumstances. And one of the victims, I think it was Kapfer out of Wisconsin. And these, these were all, these deaths were a lot often in college towns that these young men uh, were found in water after oftentimes very lengthy searches. So the reason it got the title "The Smiley Face Killers" is these um, investigators found that there was a correlation between these deaths and a spray-painted smiley face that was often found where they think the bodies went into the water, not necessarily where the bodies were found. And so, it, this 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 kind of the, so-called theory—it's often called a theory. This phenomenon, in my position, is factually occurring, but the so-called theory—that's how it got its name. And it's been featured on a lot, some TV shows, and Gannon has been, I think it was on, uh, what's the guy's name? Um, he's been on Anderson, Anderson Cooper, and what's the Latino presenter guy's name? I can't remember, the mustache. He's been on their show. He featured the Smiley Face Killings. There's been a journalist who talked about the Smiley Face Killings on Jessica. Uh, yeah. Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, thank you. So it's, you know, it's been around, and... I think their book, the primary book, which I reference in my documentary, is Case Studies in Drowning Forensics, which they did a kind of detailed analysis of 15 cases. They found the prevalence of GHB, gamma, hydroxybutyrate, which um, is a uh, nervous system depressant. Uh, they've, they've noticed that in many of the cases that they studied. And that's basically how this this series of crimes that are um, interstate, they happen in multi-different states. There are kind of hot spots, Boston, across Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, but they're, they're happening, happening, these types of cases are happening all across the country, in the world, really. So that's why I titled it the U.S.-U.K. Um, in my documentary. The title of my documentary was The Smiley Face Killings, Killings Who is Abducting, Torturing, and Murdering Young Men college-age men in the U.S. and U.K. That's the original title. When I published my documentary about a year ago, it was October, uh, late October of 2017, and I started really researching these cases in 2016 after completing my, my last book, which is Children of the Beast, where I kept seeing these smiley faces, and that's really how I got started, was is there a correlation between this symbol and these murders is really the question I asked myself. And uh, I found that, that there is a not a hundred percent correlation, but there's something going on where there is tagging and uh, graffiti often associated with these deaths. So, so the graffiti is at the dumping spot, right? Or close by, yeah, exactly. That's correct. So, what do you say to skeptics and detractors like uh, profiler Pat Brown, 
who says that the smiley face is just a uh, is not uncommon. It's a common sign, and that the markings are there by coincidence. Well, that's that's a good question. I think it is a ubiquitous symbol. I do believe, but oftentimes symbols have different meanings, um, and I find that in these cases, you can trace the use of the smiley face back even I think as far back as uh, Burroughs. You know, this uh, kind of occult beat writer and people that he influenced. It goes back through the rave scene in England and through uh, occultists like Alan Moore, who's written a variety of different books. Primarily where the smiley face is featured in an occult context is in his formerly comic book, but now movie, The Watchmen, where the comedian uh, has the smiley face on almost everything. And the comedian actually thinks that life is a big joke, and he, he actually is a very violent character. And I think that his character actually encapsulates this kind of specific esoteric occult meaning of of the like the the dual meaning of the, the underground meaning of the smiley face. So I think that at first glance and first blush, I do believe the smiley face is ubiquitous. But I also think that this occult meaning um, is relevant to some of these cases, not not necessarily all of these cases. Hmm. So is this a gang, a secret society, and how do they communicate, and what proof is there that they exist? Well, that's a great question. So when I wrote my documentary, I included about 50 cases of these young young men disappearing, and either coming out of bars, at clubs, at uh, sporting events, or at parties, of like outdoor parties of some sort, and the... You know, my conclusion was is that this is this is an MO that's been learned through either the internet. These these cases really popped up with the advent of the internet, and really one of the first cases, or if not the first case, that really got Cannon and Duarte's attention was a young man out of New York. His name was uh, McNeil, and that case actually involved Cyril Wecht. So it's very remarkable that Cyril Wecht is in this new show. Um, That's going to be on Oxygen TV because he covered one of the original first cases out of New York. What made the McNeil case often referred to as victim zero remarkable is that he was uh, he was a college student who went to Fordham in New York. He disappeared coming out of a bar. People saw a car trailing him, but he was found down water down the Hudson in a water treatment plant where another victim had been found or would be found a year later. And the parents were told that um, he was he drowned accidentally when they got, they asked for the autopsy and when they got the autopsy they found that he had been tortured he actually had been blow torched and according to Wacht I think he'd been hit in the head with a, some kind of ball peen hammer or something like that there was evidence of that torture so the family was surprised that they with the differing uh, tale that was told by this autopsy report so um, really I think that. This, these types of cases show that the similar MO is happening in different geographical areas. And I think that's why it's learned. So I wouldn't ascribe it necessarily specifically to 100% cult behavior. However, some of these cases have, have there's been an intersection between these individuals and occult groups all over the, all over the world, really. So I can't really specifically say i don't really have the the resources to say that is but one of the people when i when i was concluding my documentary i included potential or or uh, typological individuals who are who would be committing these crimes so i included 
a variety of different people. One was this guy by the name of Peter Christofferson who made a movie, Broken, that talked about, it basically laid out the same type of MO that I think is happening in these crimes. Groups go out in a car and find and abduct young men. And he was a heavy-duty occultist. He had ties to Aleister Crowley. He was involved in secret societies. He was Robin, involved in... Is, that, is, that the mem- is that the member of uh, Genesis P. Orge? Correct. Band, or... Yes, that's correct. So he was in this band, oh. band with Genesis P. Orge. Um... <clears throat> who got, you know, um, who left the U.K., you know, under right. threat of arrest. Threat of arrest. Well, I mean... they, they found... Uh, elements of what they thought was a snuff film that he was involved in his cult. He had this, this kind of, he had a musical group, but he also had a, a religious uh, cult group called the temple of psychic youth. He spelled it with a K like Crowley would call it, would spell magic or something. But, uh, one of his associates in, in his band, um, with throbbing gristle was this guy, Peter Christofferson, who had, he was, uh, he was, he was a very strange arc of his life because he was, um, interested in reading forensic manuals. That's how he would uh, blow off steam is read forensic manuals and do strange things with, you know, uh, posed bodies with blood. That's He would take pictures of that for, for uh, medical journals. And he, but he also was involved in graphic arts. And so a lot of his graphics were seen in Led Zeppelin's kind of uh, art thing. And he also did a bunch of videos, but he was also a part of this kind of homosexual occult underground. And I think that um, he was, you know, he traveled often and I think that he was a very peculiar character. He's passed away. I think he died in 2010, but, um, his associations and his knowledge of this pattern of this MO for me, uh, was remarkable. And that's why I featured this kind of fetishized fetish person who's being drowned, ritually drowned as the kind of picture for the cover of my documentary. And you deal with um, some of those elements in your book about the West Memphis Three and the way that they were drowned and the tying of the rope, right. um, the knots and stuff, right? Exactly. So, I mean, though they were ritually drowned too. So the two two of the boys drowned in water. They were all bound, um, but the, one of the boys died uh, because of blood loss, but the other two were, were uh, horrifically bound and then drowned. That's what the medical examiner did. So... Um, you know, it's interesting. One of these, uh, this things that when they had the, this press conference, there's a press conference that's preceding this oxygen, uh, documentary that features Gannon and Cyril Wecht. But they, they said that they took a look, Cyril Wecht, a very respected forensic pathologist took a look at the pictures, the autopsy pictures of this, one of the, the victims who I covered in my documentary, Dakota James, and found that ligature marks were on there. So he was bound at some point. Uh, according or in some way, in some manner, according to Cyril Weck, which was a differing, different, a differing opinion than the state medical examiner um, in Pittsburgh. So uh, I speculate that that's probably the same with many of these victims is that the the state coroners uh, are doing uh, merely a cursory job of that. So this kind of ligature tying thing element uh, seems to be prevalent to me. Before we get into the Dakota James press conference, I just want to ask, so what is the idea in the occult of, what is the benefit or the occult benefit of drowning someone? 
Well, that's a good question. I don't know the totality. I don't know the real ritual element of drowning. My understanding, I'm not a practitioner, but I've seen other witches, these other people. Kenneth Anger is one, an Alexandrian witch, Alex uh, Sanders, where they've taken these religious totems and and put them in water during their rituals. So uh, I was told that it has to do something with the dispersion of the life matter into you know, the spirit of the water. So that's, that's the purpose of that. Um, I don't know, I don't know exactly why they're doing it, but I've seen, it just keeps seeing this theme over and over again. And yeah, so it seems like, I mean, to me, like so much of the occult is about sucking the energies of mm -hmm. women, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you need like a woman as like the vessel or the scarlet woman. Right. It's like the reverse birth, you know, where the water is like the embryonic fluid. So they're dying into their, they're sort of like being reborn into this water. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's all kinds of weird ritual things like these illuminated deaths where these women are dying in bathtubs. Very strange things. Hollywood types just dying like Whitney Houston. You know, she has all these minders, but somehow she dies in a bathtub. So, uh, And then her in the bathtub too yeah and then her daughter or something died in the bathtub right so like Like there's all kinds of strange stuff yeah don't look into those deaths that's completely normal yeah that's totally normal just go i'm gonna go in the keep my clothes on and go get in the bathtub and just take a bunch of drugs see you guys so weird so there's something weird there's something weird going on with these cases roberta there's something very strange I mean, I, I mean, I was in a coma when, when my friend would come and read me the Whitney Houston stuff <laughs> when I was, you know, out, I, out of it because she knew I'd probably be interested in it. But, you know, all that stuff, I mean, the way they say that she died is from her heart couldn't take the hot water. The water was too right, hot. Right, right. Yeah, that's a strange that's, one. Yeah. That's ridiculous. But there's it's a so- list, there's a list, Roberta, of these people who've died in bathtubs, very strange bathtub deaths. Um, that are highly suspicious, a lot of Hollywood types. And uh, I you know, I can tell these stuff that in my, my next film, there's just these scenes that I've found in these uh, underground movies that are just incredible. They're incredible. And they involve bathtubs and water, drowning people in water. So, um, yeah, it's very strange. So the whole water theme, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I need to find out. I wish somebody would, somebody from the occult who's learned in these things would know what these guys were doing. But I do believe that there's you, an element of that's water sacrifice. Yeah. Don't you think Damien Eccles will take your call? No, I don't think so. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> Never. You would know, I'm sure. Oh, but, um, no, I, I have, I talked to his intermediaries, not him. <clears throat> Okay. I, I call okay. them goons, goons. Well, like when they tried to sue me and got my book kicked off of Amazon, I had to deal with this Oh, yeah. Guy. Isn't it strange, though, the way Damien Eccles has, like, just all these, um, what do you call it, like, lackeys? Lackeys, people... yeah. It's very strange. There are a lot of, like, uh, a lot of Hollywood types just really adore him, you know, a lot of very strange, yeah, strange things. Sure. It's very, you know, what's really strange is, like, a lot of those lackeys and these admirers, they're all friends with Joe Rogan. So, like, all these people who've been on Joe Rogan's podcast are also seen chumming around with Damien Eccles. So it was uh, uh, Sturgill Simpson, who was seen with Damien Eccles this year on his book tour. There was Sarah Silverman, who's a, a friend, apparently a friend of Joe Rogan, one of these. So she calls herself a comedian. 
but uh, she's been seen with Eccles. Yeah, and this one Andy yeah. Dick, who was on a TV show with with uh, Joe Rogan. I have a picture of those two characters together. And then there was like did this. You, kind of, pardon me. Did you did you hear Joe Rogan when when Nexium when the Nexium story broke? No, what did he say? And saying? Joe Rogan was defending Nexium, oh, saying wow. it was the most misogynistic diatribe that I still have people in my comment section defending. Saying, well, you know, we all know, we all know girls. He doesn't even use the word women. We all wow. know girls like, you know, to be tied up and like kinky shit. And who says that they don't want to be a slave? Interesting. No, I didn't. And, you have to send me that link. I would be interested in looking at that. Yes, right in my podcast. And then Alex Jones says the same thing, but he does it with liberal women. He just thinks all the Nexian women. That's how he writes them off. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, you know how he makes every has to make everything black and white, you know. So sure, you know, that's the way his audience likes it. All, yeah, all left wing women love to be abused, and that this is really like not a a um, cult. It's just a kinky club, and it's really like a libertarian issue. And gosh darn the government for interfering with Nexium and their kinky sex. That's that's a nice whitewash. That's shameful for especially from those guys because. Those women were coerced, right? Didn't they have what did they call that? He had that special word for all the stuff they divulged. The yeah, I mean, making out of puddles, running into trees, yeah. starving, putting them starving, branding. Right, that's like Mooney you know, territory. It's Mooney territory. But what was the thing that he called? He had that special word for all of the information that they divulged, just like Scientology, right? He called it the. He had a special term for it. Do you remember that? Talking about the. He called it the fall, like feeling, doing really bad stuff feels really good. No, well, that was one, but he had something he called like the lever or something where he would get all of their information. He called it some term, God, now I can't remember. Oh, no, it was the, you know, their collateral. The collateral, that's right. Yeah, he had the collateral. Yeah, so, yeah, Yeah. so it's a cult. That seems a a total cult. I mean, I'm sitting with those people. I mean, when you go, there's another uh, court hearing on the 9th, and those people give you the creepiest vibe. They are no one you want to know, those Nexium people, including Allison Mack, who is probably the most opaque of all of them. But they are really creepy. Really creepy. I mean, the stuff on the streets is like Parlato and these suspicious deaths and human trafficking. I mean, the original court I mean, documents say they were trafficking on people who were under 14. That's the, ori- that's the it, original complaint. I don't know if it's been amended, but the original complaint, nobody knows who these traffic people are, but, you know. I mean, and then when, when people would complain to, like, local government officials, somehow they would be gone after themselves. The whistleblowers Whistleblowers, would right. Interesting. Yeah. Officials and there's so many of those officials that need to be looked into. And maybe, I mean, I guess I have to step up because no one else seems to be wanting to do it. You know, I know it's not Hillary Clinton and it's not all that sexy, but there's a lot of corruption at, you know, a much lower level, like real corruption. Real corruption. That yeah. needs into, you know. Well, he, they got a, he, got a long, he got away with it for a long time, right? 20 I mean, decade, years. 20 years, yeah. So... 20 years yeah. I did you know I mean I know that America seems to love cults but it just goes on and on we've sort of gotten off track it's okay no but it actually is kind of interesting because 
there, this cult behavior of secrecy and stuff like that may be involved in these types of cases. And also the government's inability to ascertain or actually warn the public like what's going on. Like, you know, they never said anything about Nexium to my knowledge. And the FBI has dodged really saying, and even local, uh, I think it was the chief of police in Boston have all said that this is not a uh, phenomenon when I'm looking and watching this phenomenon happening. You know, I think the first death that I saw was a guy out of Columbus, Ohio. His name was Joey Labute. And um, he was missing for 19 days. Where is he? And they just suddenly found him in water and place already searched. Give me a break. So um, it is an international problem. Is there, a, like, is there an, like, a a commonality in yes. the victim? Like, is there absolutely. a common victim, all... type, victim type? Absolutely. In the Somebody, yeah, absolutely. Some people have said they all fit this ideal athletic ideal. There's almost nobody who's overweight. They tend to be athletic. You know, there's only one guy who actually has like a beer belly out of all of these cases. They're all, you know, this kind of, uh, all American ideal. And, you know, there's offset, there's some Hispanics. There's, there's one guy, Arvind Sharma, who's from Nepal. There's been African Americans as well, but they all generally fit this kind of profile of age of college age. And a lot of, most of them are really people coming out of bars. You know, that seems to be the, uh, the common. Dakota James was, had been in two bars. Joy LeBute was at a bar. Um, some of these, I think one of the cases they're going to feature on the oxygen was Zach Marr, who was in downtown Boston, um, who was at a bar. And there's conflicting stories, very suspicious conflicting stories about how he was either kicked out. He told his uh, friends that he wasn't allowed back in the bar. And then the, the, uh, the bar manager said, no, we, we didn't kick him out. So there were conflicts there and he was found in water with a smiley face as well, a spray painted smiley face. And he fit the profile, just a young, you know, handsome, good, you know, but they're all almost tend to be athletic to skinny, which is odd. So there is a profile, no question. Some people say the BMI, like there was one investigator talked about the body mass index. These guys are all in a very tight, um, mean you know of of this body mass index they're all in good shape so yes there is a there is a typography of the potential victims definitely and also seem to be going to old taverns old bars yes and one of the you know know, one of the odd things too about all of these cases there's probably of all of the victims that all worldwide you're looking at probably at least 100 and possibly up to 300 cases over the last 20 years and none of them really are upper middle, upper class, maybe not even upper middle class, like maybe reaching upper middle class, but they're all almost working to middle class, which is very odd, you know, that uh, it's almost, and some people have speculated that there is a winnowing process or a investigative process about how they're picked as victims, whether they're doing it through Grindr or some of these other apps or whether there's a talking, I had one guy there was a post on <coughs> her name. I inter- interviewed a lot of these people. One was inter. Uh, her name was Elise Soper, and she ran a blog out of Boston called Cryptid Antiquarian. But she, you know, and she had a she had a good audience. Like, and one day she posted about the suspicious drownings in Boston, and her readership just skyrocketed. It went through the roof, and people were passing around. But the interesting, it was on WordPress. But the interesting thing about it was all the commentary. She had two thousand comments. All these people saying, this is bogus, I don't believe this. And uh, one guy left a comment about he thought he thought he was targeted, where he was at a bar, 
he was a younger guy and this older man walked up to him and was very friendly and wanted to buy him a drink and kept asking him questions about him and really was persistent and it freaked him out and creeped out and, and he left this message on the cryptid antiquarian wordpress thing which is very interesting if you want to look into these cases from the boston her. angle pardon me you interviewed her that's correct elise soper yes elise soper i've interviewed a lot of people about these cases uh john d'souza jim smith who was my chief researcher for my movie is still has really probably been the most dogged public figure following these cases for three or four years so he's really on top of it and was on top of it a lot of his research is in my film but he was one of them i also interviewed uh ed opperman interviewed this guy spagnola who wrote about the cases up in the uh wisconsin minneapolis area he also interviewed jan jenkins who's the father of one of the uh, mother of one of the victims she was uh chris jenkins mother and wrote a book about it why is this happening so the parents seem to you know definitely be keyed in but i think you know one I think really what Jim did, maybe me, was really see it, take the broad angle lens and say, God, this is a multi-state problem. It's happening in California. I had California cases. There's a lot of Portland cases. So one of the mis, uh, misunderstandings is just like, oh, it's just happening in the, in the northeast, and that's not true at all. It's happening in the U.K. as well. And really globally, there were cases in Spain that I had in Thailand. So, um, yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I think it's it there I think really I tried to really research it in depth as many times. There's another guy I'm in a uh, a documentary with a guy by the name of Gary J. J. They call this phenomenon in Manchester the pusher. And so he wrote he's on uh Amazon and I did an interview with him on his documentary where he's looking into these cases that and uh, so you know a lot of there were a lot of independent people looking at looking at it regionally when it's really more multi, definitely multi-state, multi-jurisdictional. So the, it's the pusher theory. Isn't that different though than the smiley face killer theory? Well, I, mean, well, I think it's the, actually the same MO is that people are out and they, they are missing and then they fall in these canals. Like Manchester is known for having tons of these canals. That's how they moved goods around was on these canals back in the day. And, uh, you know, people would just show up. And I did a couple of the, the three or four of those cases, Suvik Pal, there were a couple others that, um, you know, really fit this profile of this phenomenon. I mean, gay bars or get out at a rave or something like that, strange text messages to the family or something. Um, and uh, the Suvik Pal case was a really remarkable case because they actually have CCTV and, you know, UK is supposedly notorious for having this, uh, closed circuit, you know, surveillance grid all over. And they have somebody talking to Suvik Powell that they never really investigated. And he was found in a strange place in a different canal. So, um, yeah, so they call it the pusher. And I think that that's kind of, uh, kind of why people see these as, as compartmentalized phenomenons is there's different terminology for different things. There's, there's a whole, like in, in the Sydney Harbor down in Australia, there's been like 60 men over the last 25 years found in the Harbor. So it's happening all the way in Australia too, um, this kind of stuff. So, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have, I don't speak, so I, I barely I'm speak sorry. English. I barely speak English. So it's hard to tell like what's going on in Germany. Although there was a case in Germany recently, Liam Colgan, I don't know what's going on in Germany, France, or, you know, uh, the Hispanic world, but something tells me that some of these cases are happening there too. Hmm. So I, I thought that the smiley face killer theory was the idea that, 
these men were coming from, they were drugged. They right. came from a bar. They were abducted. Like the, was it, what was his, Jenkins, what was his Jen- first Chris name? Chris Jenkins, Chris Jenkins. Chris Jenkins case where she said he was picked up in a van. He was uh, tortured uh, and then dumped, you know, mm-hmm. killed and then dumped. So the Manchester pusher, I thought, was like someone's walking home from a bar and he's like pushed into the canal. Right. But you're I, saying there's like... I would say that within the... So there's probably so-called... If you draw a very broad brush of all the drowning cases in Manchester over the last 25 years, there's about 60 or 70 that include people from different age ranges. But the specific cases that I looked at, the four or five, fit that profile of what you just described about Chris Jenkins. Perfectly out at a bar, disappeared, missing longer than they, you know, all these cases, they have a very, oftentimes have a very extensive search that includes water searches, you know, aquatic searches, which are, you know, people I've talked to say they're very detailed. They lay out strings, they cover each area, then they know they've been by it, you know, so it's not like a, a real impromptu casual search. These are all, you know, scoping the underground, you know, the underwater for, you know, bodies and, uh, I found that four or five of those cases in Manchester fit the profile of what's known as the smiley face killer. Has any perpetrator ever been caught? Well, that's a good question. You know, I included in my documentary two people who've been caught. Um, one was a guy by the name of Edward Lamphere who operated in the territory where there's been a bunch of abductions. He operated out in Wisconsin and he was caught. Uh, he had two young men he abducted out of bars late at night and, uh, he had them tied. He literally had them tied up and tortured him. One of the young men was able to get out and got free and uh, rescued the other one. Now, they don't know whether he was a serial killer, how many other people he had done this to. But he this fits exactly the profile of the smiley face killers, a guy stalking people in bars. And one of the victims actually said they had seen Lamphere playing pool in the bar before the night they were abducted. They were, I think one of them was lured to a truck with a ride home. And was abducted, and another one was, I think, drugged, if I remember the victimology of the Lamphere cases. But um, So somebody, he could have been one of the perps. And that's why I think it's a mistake in analyzing these cases to ascribe it directly to one person or one group or a cult. Because I believe it's a learned MO. Kind of like somebody who perfects, you know, writing fake checks or something like that. So somehow through the dark web or through these gay sites, through Grindr, they figured out an MO and there's been other, there was actually a famous guy. I wish I could remember his name. He was friends with Jimmy Savile in the UK and he was a known TV presenter. And lo and behold, he was also homosexual. And they, one night something went wrong. They picked up some guy at a bar and this guy ended up in the pool of his house in the UK dead and very, under very suspicious circumstances. And I don't think anybody went to jail, but it was very strange how somebody who died ended up in this guy's backyard pool. So I do think that this is a learned MO or technique that more than one person is, is engaged in, um, hmm. you know, utilizing. So, so I always think about, like, you know, men's reaction to deliverance, you know, that movie mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sort of the gay element in these, in these crimes. And do you think that's helpful or hurtful to well, I... a men- I think that people should understand that that's I, that's what I believe is the primary motivation in all these cases. There's no financial issues. I don't believe anybody has had their credit card run. There's not a racial uh, angle 
But I do believe that that's one of the reasons why these cases are so mystifying, probably to the police who are largely heterosexual and probably just to the general public is they don't understand that young men are a target group for predators. So I think that that's really as, as simple as it is, is really that's really what's happening. There's their target group. And I think that women know that, you know, of, of varying ages and typologies know that they're a target group for predators. They watch their drinks. They don't let them get spiked. They stay together with other women. But these other men don't have that um, feeling of, uh, you know, trepidation or fear about this happening to them. And I believe that's why they're getting drugged. You know, that's why they're getting uh, victimized. So I think that that the notion, I mean, it might be just too uncomfortable of a subject for the police or the general public to really comprehend is that there are gay killers out there, you know, and they're, they've been, they've been out, out there like, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer was a gay killer, you know, he had a target right. audience. So, I press, you know, that got a lot of press. Say that one more time. Because it was so outrageous. Right. You know, it was- right. Well, he got, what, how many victims did he have that were recorded? 14. That's what they know. You know, he might've been on a tear much longer. And I think that if the police are, you know, interested in really re- revisiting these cases, they're going to find that there's somebody who's probably been operating for a long time doing this. They caught a guy in Vancouver. There was, um, and all, what's odd about these cases, there's all these missing persons, and I and integrated them into my documentary. There's all kinds of missing persons, pictures and posters that go up. And in Vancouver, they had these missing persons of these different men who were in the gay community missing. And they didn't really know, you know, what happened to him, but people were, loved ones were really looking for them. And they found this guy, his name I think was McAdams. And he was a serial, he was a serial killer who preyed upon, he was, he was a predator in the homosexual community. And the reason when they caught him, it was an emergency because he had had a young man in his, literally bound and tied up in his apartment or in his room. So when they rescued this guy, they arrested him. And then they tried to really try to trace back where he was and who he was. And they found some of these bodies and planters. And it was so these people who'd been missing, who had had posters all up through that uh, gay community up there. So he was another, this is a more recent case, which I believe fits the typology of the predator who's out there, you know, uh, you know, uh, torturing and abusing college age men. And so who was, um, you know, what, I realized that, you know, I woke up this morning and I was like, why am I so resistant to, like, I always have such, I don't know, like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder with this subject. Okay. And I realized it was because, you know, that the names of the victims, these male victims, are remembered by every single person, every researcher. And there's so many of so them. So many. Right. And when female victims, you know, you can barely... And I don't know if that's a benefit to not knowing who the perpetrators are in this or if it's, you know, because they're male or just um, probably because it really puts the focus on the victim and what happens to them where, you know, like Teresa Hallback, people are forgetting her name constantly or, you know, when we have one female victim, right. we always remind people of their name. So I guess, I don't know. It's. And you're right. Like for women, it's like a matter of, like all that female intuition. That's like survival for us, yes. you know, to figure yes. out who's creepy, who's not, you know, how we're going to get home. And, right. um, and 
being alive. And that's not something I don't think most, um, you know, men, men think about. Well, they don't. And it's interesting you say that because in some of these cases, to go to James, for example, this one young man, Garcia, there's these guys, and, and actually Stephen Port was a number, another person who I believe was a, a person who was you know, capable of committing these crimes. But there's pictures of these guys walking alone in CCTV, um, even here in the States, uh, Dakota James was Pittsburgh, Garcia's Boston, where they're clearly upright. O'Kelleher's another, and they're walking by themselves. And it actually discounts and, and kind of uh, negates the whole argument that these guys are too drunk. Um, to, you know, they're drunk and fallen water is one of the, the kind of go-to uh, positions of the people who believe that these are accidental drownings is that they're drunk, but they're not clearly not drunk and they're also alone. So they don't, you know, I think that those are the, the kind of people that these, these predators are looking for somebody alone at night. And if you look at Lamphere, it's really remarkable because he somehow keyed into late night after bars. He somehow, that was where his, that's where he was uh, predating on this, you know, on unsuspecting victims. And I believe that that's exactly why other people in other parts of the world are doing the same thing, whether they figured it out themselves or they learned it from some other chat group or something like that, that, you know, the men are, their, their guard is down, they're drunk, they've been drinking, or they just, you know, they're, they're, it's a, it's an ideal situation for predators. So, um, but yeah, so I think that that's really it. And I think that that's probably why there's such a large victim pool is people don't know that men don't understand they can have their drink drugged. <clears throat> or you know be be abducted really right um i'm running out of time william ringsby okay you get, then you um, get new ten, you, how, what, you gotta be somewhere <laughs> you got 10 more minutes can we make 50 minutes i have i have 10 more minutes but i'm just i'm i have a minute and 16 seconds on my i have 45 minutes on my thing so i'm just gonna close up is okay, that a, that's okay for my yeah, Thanks. absolutely. Do so, where can people find you? Well, they can find me. Um, kind of, I've kind of tried to get off of Facebook, so I'm posting on Minds.com, William Ramsey, posting on One Way, posting on MeWe. I do post on Twitter, Gab.ai. So most of my research and posting is uh, uh, there. They can, you know, send me texts. I'm definitely going to be following this uh, oxygen case. And I just also wanted to let you know there's been a couple interesting cases that popped back up. Uh, the Bobby Bouzelet of the Manson family, the, the uh, Department of Corrections recommended that he be paroled today, uh, or yesterday, actually. And then there's okay. another... What's that? Bobby Bouzelet of the yes, guy, of the you know, the Satanist guy who did the uh, Lucifer Rising soundtrack in exactly. prison. Exactly. That's but he was all, do you know that he was also in a Kenneth Anger movie called uh, Invocation of My Demon I Brother? With, by the way. What's that? I share a birthday with Kenneth oh, Anger. Okay, oh. thank you. That's that's uh, auspicious. That's pretty dangerous. Kenneth Anger is. Me uh, and Bob Ruff and Kenneth Anger. I mean, oh. how gross is that? But also my godmother. So that's, that's, that's good. Okay. Well, so the I, other, I, the I, other one, do you know the Crispo case? Are you familiar with the Crispo case? This SM no. case out of. Uh, out of New York where they abducted some guy out of a gay bar and they killed him. And, and the only reason they found that they only found out about him is because he had a gimp mask that kept him, that uh, allowed them to identify his body. Holy cow. Yeah. You got to look up the CRISPR case. They're about to, they're out, about to release one of the guys who was involved in it. This guy, Degueros. 
And uh, so that's a, just an incredible case. And Crispo was a high-end art dealer with really strange tastes. you got to look into that case. That would be a good subject to look into for your uh, podcast. Oh, okay. Wait, how do you spell his last name? I think it's D-E-G-E-R-O-S, Degueros. Let me see if I can pull Okay, this. okay. Interesting. So how, how much do you think that, like, the PR of the gay community that now wants to be, like, family-oriented and they don't want to be known for, you know, doing drugs or drugging guys or their, like, black sheep members, right. you know, is keeping this out of the, these murders out of the press? Legeros, his name is L-E-G-E-R-O-S, sorry, Bernard Legeros. He was just paroled Wednesday after three decades in prison. Well, I think that the the press is very important. I think that might be a component in these smiley face killings is that people don't want to have aspersions on the gay community, which I think is absurd because these types of behaviors happen in the heterosexual community probably with greater frequency. You know, I think that there's a lot of men who, you know, their target pool is women. So I do think, though, that, you know, I've talked about this in other talks, but it was the... Uh, it was a, uh, it was Al Pacino was in a movie called Cruising that was directed by, uh, Bill, Fr- William Friedkin. And mm-hmm. they, it was about a, uh, a serial killer. They were trying to track a serial killer <coughs> in the gay community. And that, um, William Friedkin had all of these problems happen. He had all of these people, they were boycotting his shoots and, uh, really bad. So, I think that that, you know, that kind of element of the community, they don't want a lot of people snooping around. Friedkin did The Exorcist, is that right? Or the... Um... Correct. To live and die in L.A. In L.A. I'm done with this. Later. Actually, what happened was my Skype account ran out of money. So this is the end of the 45-minute discussion i had with roberta glass about sfk go subscribe to her youtube channel the true crime report or true crime report with roberta glass and see all these very interesting interviews that she's done also you can support this podcast by going to my patreon account at william ramsey also uh, i am active on social media one way me we minds.com thank you for listening